This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 16, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court's decision in the case of Bond v. United States made clear that individuals can use the Tenth Amendment to repel federal overreach. That nine-to-nothing ruling may have broader implications for the legal challenge to Obamacare. John Eastman is a professor and former dean at Chapman University School of Law and a contributor to the latest Cato Supreme Court Review. We spoke at Cato's annual Constitution Day event yesterday. Unfortunately, what is the most interesting part of this case is not the most interesting part of this case when it comes to the discussion that we're having. Uh, and anybody who fo- who listens to this podcast will be familiar with with some of the details of this case. A woman trying to poison, I suppose, uh, a romantic rival and is charged at the state level with a crime that you would expect one to be charged with and then charged at the federal level under a law that is enacted pursuant to uh, a treaty uh, that the United States signed in in the 1990s. The issue here, just to dispense with those facts, is whether or not this woman could claim that the federal government was overstepping its bounds under the 10th Amendment. And as an individual, that seems like an odd claim. So Carol Ann Bond was prosecuted uh, for putting some chemicals on her husband's lover's door handle. Uh, But she was prosecuted not by the state officials, but by the U.S. attorney, the federal official in Pennsylvania, for violating a statute that was implementing the International uh, Treaty Against Chemical Weapons. Uh, And she said that this was an overreach by Congress, that it was intruding on the state's police powers and exercising powers that were not given to the federal government. She raised a Tenth Amendment claim, but as Justice Kennedy rightly pointed out in his opinion for a unanimous court, the Tenth Amendment, which says all powers not granted to the federal government are reserved to the states or the people, is really the flip side or the mirror image on what we know is the doctrine of enumerated powers, and that is Congress gets to do those things only that we tell it it can do in our Constitution. And regulating Mrs. Bond's activities with her husband's girlfriend (laughs) was not one of the activities that we delegated to Congress to regulate. And the fact that it was done by treaty uh, didn't authorize this statute uh, otherwise. Now, the, the court had a very narrow ruling, and it said Mrs. Bond has legal standing to raise that issue. And it's now back on remand. The much more interesting aspect of the case is what's going to happen now. Uh, Is it true that the Congress uh, is limited even when it has a treaty that it's trying to enforce? Can we, by treaty, give Congress powers that it doesn't otherwise have? And the answer to that seems pretty clearly to be no. (laughs) But for a century, there's a Supreme Court case that suggested that it might be yes. In other words, the Congress cannot nullify the Constitution through a treaty. That's right. And, and if you think about it, the, the founders' understanding of a treaty was something that the United States would enter into a treaty defining our relations with Great Britain or with France or with India or with Zimbabwe. Uh, it would not define our relations with our own citizens. Uh, that document is what we call a Constitution. And so the notion that we could have a treaty to ignore or do an end run around the limits on federal power under our Constitution would have been bizarre to them. And I hope it will be bizarre to the court when they get this merits part of the case uh, case back to them. Now, uh, one of the points that you make in your article for the Cato Supreme Court review is this issue of overcriminalization, which for uh, liberals, conservatives and libertarians is uh, uh, something of, of great concern. 
Uh, does this uh, nine to nothing ruling open up a path to sort of clarify the powers that that are that at least for criminal prosecutions are reserved to the states or that the federal government can get involved in? Does that give individuals sort of a, a way to push back against federal overcriminalization? It, it, it certainly creates the prospect. Uh, if, if the decision of the lower court had, had stood and, and the holding that Mrs. Bond didn't even have the legal right to raise those questions, then the overcriminalization would have had no checks whatsoever. The fact that we're now going to ask a question about the legitimacy of Congress's criminal statute here and that the, the, the criminal defendant who was prosecuted under it gets to be the one to raise that question means there will be a lot of criminal defendants raising a lot of such questions against a lot of federal criminal statutes that don't on their face have any connection with powers given to the national government. Uh, so I hope even if Mrs. Bond loses her particular case, I hope that a lot of challenges to those federal criminal statutes uh, will, will be opened up now because of this decision. Now, the, uh, the Kennedy opinion in this case, writing for an extreme majority, I suppose, uh, is, has been described as a love letter to federalism. And, of course, the biggest uh, issue awaiting the Supreme Court's uh, weighing in is Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. How, does the, how do those two things, how does this case relate to that or does it? Sure. By, by uh, reminding us that the Tenth Amendment, uh, states' rights, is the flip side of enumerated powers, uh, that if you, there's not a source of authority for Congress to act, we reserve those questions to the states or the, to the people. Well, one of the primary things that the court has repeatedly said is reserved to the states or the people is the so-called police power, the power to f advance the health, safety, welfare, and morals of the people. Well, every time you look at the police power definition, in any case, it always begins with health, right? And health is one of the things that is not given to the national government. It's, it's reserved to the states or the, to the people. And so those, uh, the language in Justice Kennedy's opinion, the, the love letter to federalism, reminding us of the importance of federalism, the structure that says we're going to have two different levels of government so that neither can become too strong and interfere with liberty. The health care bill is a perfect example of government becoming too strong, too overreaching, and interfering with liberty. And if you take Justice Kennedy at his word, it's hard not to read into that some tea leaves, at least where Justice Kennedy is leaning in the health care bill. Now, I have no doubt that some of the other justices that joined in his opinion are not leaning that direction. Uh, so I wouldn't read too much into it. But remember, on the health care bill, it's very likely that Justice Kennedy is going to be the, the determining vote, the, the center uh, chair in what is probably going to be a five to four decision on the Supreme Court. So those tea leaves coming out of Justice Kennedy's pen are very welcome news for those that have challenged the health care bill. So for this case, it's been remanded back. Do you have expectations or uh, do you have uh, an idea of, of the way you think it ought to go? Well, uh, what is it Winston Churchill once said? I can only, we can only deserve victory. We can't guarantee it. Uh, that's, a, that's a perfectly apt description of our, of our court system. Uh, the way it ought to go is that the lower courts ought to rule that the criminal statute's application to Mrs. Bond, who was not engaged in international chemical weapons, who was not engaged in anything against some foreign national, there is nothing in her conduct that dealt with uh, subject matter that is a proper area of treaty making, and that therefore the statute's application to her was unconstitutional. That's the way the court ought to go. Um, but there's enough play in the joints on 
the Congress's power under the Necessary and Proper Clause to implement a treaty that may lead the courts to say that's what they're doing here, it's okay, even if we think the treaty overreached, that's a question between president and the Congress. I hope they don't go that way. I'd like to see the courts providing the check that even the treaty power is limited, and I think Justice Kennedy's opinion is an invitation to do that, and I hope to follow it up with it. You say that if this piece of legislation that emerged out of Congress in pursuing this uh, treaty obligation, had it been authored in pursuit of uh, Commerce Clause uh, authority, would have been found unconstitutional, even under a very expansive view of the Commerce Clause. Does the Commerce Clause then limit? I mean, are you arguing that the Commerce Clause powers limit their ability to engage in certain kinds of treaty making? Well, certainly, because uh, if you accept that the treaty making power is supposed to be our relations with foreign nations, or even a step removed from that, our, our relations with the citizens of a foreign nation who happen to be visiting here. And I can see that being the proper subject of a treaty as well. Uh, say we have a treaty with Mexico. Mexico doesn't have a death penalty. We do. And maybe Mexico says, you know, we have a lot of um, Mexican citizens that visit your country. Uh, we'll leave lawfully or unlawfully off the table for a moment. Uh, uh, we'd like to enter into a treaty that we will, uh, uh, that the United States will not apply the death penalty to Mexican nationals on a, on a lawful visitor permit. And we won't uh, deal with U.S. citizens visiting here under a more, har, har, more, more harsh Mexican law over, over, you know, you could see a treaty. But but that's not what this is. Uh, Mrs. Bond is a Pennsylvanian, and last I checked, that's not a foreign nation. It's one of the sovereign states of the United States. Uh, and that means the document that defines the government's relation to her is not the treaty, but is the Constitution. And so if Congress has authority over her, it needs to come from the Commerce Clause, not from the Treaty Clause. Uh, and, and, you know, it's as simple as that. And, and we know under the Commerce Clause, the Supreme Court has recently reminded us several times uh, that it's got to be a, a regulation of things in interstate commerce or at the very least a regulation of things that cumulatively have a substantial effect on interstate commerce. Neither of those are conditions for applying the statute here. And without those conditions limiting the scope of the, of the, of the statute, I think the statute would be unconstitutional under the Commerce Clause. And that's saying something. And that's saying something. That's, court doesn't strike down too many things. There are a whole lot of them that are, are ripe for being struck down if the court would faithfully apply those principles. John Eastman is a professor and former dean at Chapman University School of Law and a contributor to the latest edition of the Cato Supreme Court Review. You can get your copy of the review at cato.org.